Hey folks, and welcome to a Daily Rating Special. On today's show, Vince will rate and review what he believes are the essential stop-motion pictures. These films are benchmarks for stop-motion movies, and Vince will take us through the decades reviewing five trend-setting films in the genre. These stop-motion films are King Kong, directed by Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shodzak, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, by Nathan Juran, Jason and the Argonauts, by John Chafee, The Nightmare Before Christmas, by Henry Selick, and Kubo and the Two Strings, directed by Travis Knight. So stay tuned and enjoy this special. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. I'm excited for today's special. Oh, for sure. Uh, this was the homework of all homeworks that you've done for us today. <laughs> it's been in the it's been in the oven for a minute, for sure. Uh, we've been working on it really, really hard. Um, so, folks, again, this is stop motion pictures, and you know we always do. F- you know, five films on mm-hmm. our episodes. Mm-hmm. It, we didn't need it to be five. It sure. w- if it was ten, we would do part one and two. But you know, there was six on this list. Mm-hmm. One got cut because it, did, it just it, didn't because yeah. it didn't make the cut. Yeah, it did not. And um, so again, these are kind of what you say are just like here are the trendsetters. What started and what kept this genre going. How it continued to innovate itself kind of exactly yeah. and i think it's important for stop motion because you look at it and you say oh that, that can't compete with cgi i i think uh hopefully by the end of this folks at home you see that there is a place for stop motion yeah. in modern day and not only that it's a it's a medium it's for storytelling mm-hmm. like it's not s- just uh you know it's not just a style or a tech that it's got using. a place it's got a place it's its own thing and exactly. it's yeah um i definitely love that and and you know, it's important to note, folks, that maybe these films, and I don't know the scores yet, um, but I'm assuming, like, it, just because they're trendsetters or something like that also might not mean they get the greatest scores. Not oh, like we're dealing with 80s sure. or 85s. Yeah. But again, it's just these are important. These are ones that are doing something different than the last guys that's improving upon the genre. Exactly. Right? Studying the industry, how it's evolving, how it can be viewed in modern day, and the mark that a lot of creators put, the stamp that they put on. Uh, each of these films so we cover a lot of years too it's oh my gosh i love uh, 33 it. to 2006 uh, 2016 so that was That's that was cool. fun as just a, a project in itself i mean i really love this these specials are what i live for it's wonderful it's it's a blast and i think you know we the reason also why we do you know we really think that they're beneficial for for everyone listening i think this would be great to listen to sure you know i would love to go online and see a list like this yeah and especially because it's not like we just slapped this together we didn't go and and Google or Bing, um, <laughs> what are the most essential stop motion pictures? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like you sat down and did some serious, serious research. Oh, for I sure. Mean, you, were, you watched hours of content mm-hmm. about the films and about the industry right before even digging into some of the films yeah because i'm i'm, I'm damn sure not an animator so <laughs> you know as far as technical advancements i really needed to do research but it really was a joy to do because uh, i've loved stop motion for a while and i think creatively as well yeah. i gotta challenge my own ratings of how does this stand up in modern day so this is uh hopefully will open your eyes to the it, storytelling possibilities yeah. of stop motion and that is interesting of just noting that because 
again, as we always say, we're in the here and now. Mm-hmm. And it's funny watching a movie from, you know, 1933, from 58 to 63, <laughs> yeah. because although they might, like, have huge marks, it's just because, like, I feel like people that rate them today feel like they need to, because it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. it's just... The expectation. Exactly. It's like, mm-hmm. well, we have to rate it high, but we're in the here and now, and um, I can't wait to, to see kind of how, especially these older ones held up. So I think we're going to start right away with it. Sure, sure. Again, we go back to 1933. This is King Kong. What do we have? So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> just inspired so much. Obviously, Japanese filmmakers with Gojira or Godzilla, as it's known in the West. Uh, many, many monster rampage movies are spawned from this in the States as well. And probably most important of why King Kong is on this list, in addition to its credits for stop motion and, and really being one of the biggest impacts on viewing audiences at the, at the time, most importantly, it was an inspiration for what largely is considered the godfather of stop-motion animation, Mm. which is Ray Harryhausen. Ray is not in this production. We will touch on him in our next two segments, but definitely a format, uh, or rather, um, not a format, a figure to keep an eye on and and keep an ear open for because uh, definitely he is our first highlight of an auteur or a really creative powerhouse in this space. Okay. Story-wise, it I mean, it's almost folklore at this point. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. Uh, a filmmaker and crew uh, visiting Skull Island. Uh, they find a society in which it warps it, worships King Kong, and from there, the stage is set to give 1930s audiences the thrill of a lifetime. I mean, I was probably most shocked by King Kong of how much it represents the Peter Jackson King Kong that we get in the 2000s. Really? Uh, or how, I guess how much Peter Jackson... Oh, for much- sure. Yeah, tried to just really do a beat-for-beat beat remake. I think it's surprising how much Kong's DNA is right in the beginning here, you know what I mean? Really? As the origin. It was really interesting. And the watching a 1933 film could be jarring to begin with. Watching a 1933 blockbuster is mm-hmm. really putting that, you know, that modern day watching to the test. Yeah. So I think it's interesting with that modern day watching. There is almost an interesting theme in the story beats before we get into the the effects and stop motion of of female acting exploitation. This is uh, it, the the setting is actually specified to be recovering from the Great Depression. There is obviously in real life, uh, King Kong was such a landmark film because it was such a fantasy and an escapism away from the Great Depression at the time and for people to be transported in the theaters. And I think for this this odd, uh, oh no, I wouldn't say odd, but this modern viewing of the theme of acting exploitation, the characters even recognize it themselves in the film that mm. it's not right of how our, our female lead is taken and used as bait basically for Kong huh. uh, to capture him and and you know and and try to ultimately get him to that set piece in New York then so very interesting watch but honestly even though we have some character set up this is as much as a monster action movie as any really? monster action film. Really? It is amazing That's to awesome. see. It's a who's who of dinosaurs and creatures for Kong to really? face off against. Yeah, it's action-packed. And that's a 1933 <laughs> film. And that's I, awesome. It, it, was, it, was, it was very surprising. Uh, you know, again, even the new to, newest iterations of Kong are still, you know, just trying to put him up against as many matches as possible. And I'm, I'm talking like at least, 
at least over half a dozen we're talking about as far as matchups in this film. Freaking it's, awesome! It's action packed, <laughs> and it's so weird to you know call a, a film no, as yeah. old like that. You know, halfway in, I think the film's focus is completely around Kong fighting once again a who's who of dinosaurs that is you know really really brutal all of this is going to be our first introduction to stop motion kong himself is of course a stop motion figure one of the first terms we'll come across is an armature an armature is basically the wire frame to the clay model or the oh, oh, yeah, uh, or yeah, the yeah. plastic model around it so the the, the skeleton if you will and man some interesting stuff is done with it there is a some brutal scenes. I know that sounds silly talking about goofy. I love this early I stop motion. This. There's a jaw breaking scene. Really Kong breaks the jaw of a dinosaur and plays with it like loose and limp. It was. I was like, whoa, this <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> uh, I was. I was stunned by it, um, especially for. I mean, so this was your first viewing of it. Too. Oh yeah, I've you never haven't seen, seen this like ten original. years ago or anything no, like that. No, yeah, and, and probably avoided it realistically because. I said what what value exactly yeah 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 you know what value would a blockbuster from the early 30s have and And you know I'm here to say there there is appreciable aspects to it you know one of the foundational techniques uh, that is basically a breakthrough here and that I'll reference for the special is rear projection Uh, folks at home you're probably even if you're not familiar with it you've seen rear projection uh, it's when footage of a scene is played behind uh, our actors or played behind the set uh, and played out in the studio. Classic use of this is moving background for cars. You'll see this. Oh, in... you have this still vehicle, mm-hmm. but you just have the moving. Yeah. And the, and the, and the, and the footage st- is rear projected behind. Yes. It, okay. Oh, cast yeah. in the scene. For stop motion, though, the figures can be either part of the background or part of the foreground, and the footage of the actors is put to the background. So they're able to move the stop motion in the foreground. Honestly, this film pioneers this footage that is still, or this this technique that is still used today. Kong often will interact both in and out of this very fluidly. Sometimes in the foreground for actors, that is them propping up a very comically large hand uh, coming off set. Oh, really? Uh, you know, especially when it, you know Kong's grabbing something, right, right. But it's it really. It, I, I will say it's a, it's a foundational technique and something that we see our our first highlight, Ray Harryhausen. You know, in in the coming two films that we'll talk about, folks, a foundational technique of this rear projection. The key to it working is having some sort of bridge, some sort of interaction between, even for folks at the time, probably. Uh, not very realistic stop motion, but it's creating a reality because there is some sort of crossover between the rear projection and what these stop motion figures are interacting with. Mm. That could be a knock of something. Kong's main set is on Skull Island is a massive gate. Having that gate interact as Kong is coming out, it builds a realism around oh, otherwise okay, cool. a you know a glitchy or or, or a, a sporadic uh, stop motion. Yes, it. yeah. I mean, glitchy is a good word too because it kind of looks yeah, like that. It comes exactly. Across as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when it comes to they're not animating every frame though. So right when it comes to I mean, what we're looking at for stop motion, the figures are 
either a part of the background, a part of the foreground, like I say. Again, the pioneering here of why we're tuning into rear production, uh, projection, and specifically as a inspiration for Harry Housen in, in years to come is that bridge of the gap. Let's talk about the main event, though. Kong himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, facial movements are of Kong are wild. He is like always moving his his eyebrows. <laughs> they they're really going over and above to show that like he's animated, he's animated and, he, and yeah. he has like some sort of humanity to it. It is ultimately, I think, much better than the man-in-the-suit creatures we see up until even the 50s. Oh. Uh, because it, sh- it shows that Kong has almost like a dangerous stupidity to him. There okay. is a fantasy sold from even how goofy his face looks. Was it and jarring it is- how jittery it was? Or like low frame, like, like, like small amount of frames per second? Uh, yeah, it's... It, the facial animation specifically, it's just constantly it's just... going. His eyebrows are just <laughs> jiving. <laughs> they are going away. And it's like even if he's not directly interacting with something, he's always just moving they're, one or the other moving, or both. Yeah. Uh, and, and I wonder if that was on purpose or it's because like the, the – it, that was hard to get continuity yeah. per frame. You know what I mean? Maybe. It's, it's, yeah, maybe honestly, there was a lack of polish, uh, certainly. But who knows? You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I think in the end result for modern day, it does kind of, again, much like the rear projection, sell a fantasy to what all audiences would know is clearly not a giant monkey. I think it sells kind of a dangerous curiosity to him, mm-hmm. uh, especially when he's interacting with our female lead. Uh, there really is that, in fact, fascination that Kong has and that's not going to be sold through his brutality that's not going to be sold especially in 1933 for whatever kind of destruction they can do on screen it is sold through emotion it is sold sold through making a character out of a creature hmm. and that that really is what stood with so many people for this film and yeah i i think i think it's it's definitely something to note especially for as we are tracking the developments of it what that means for our artists in the animation department what does that mean to create a key creature and give it some humanity right to right it? so despite a man not being in Kong, uh, a lot is done to give reactions to his movement. Uh, Kong will clench his chest in pain. He will wipe blood from his chest. As silly as it looks sometimes, this care and thought is no doubt artistry and craft in this movie. The fear is then sold by the actors in the foreground or in the background. And overall, the main appeal is really the scale and size of Kong, especially when they share the shot. Like I talked about just a moment ago, the bridging of making Kong feel real in the same scene, the same exact scene that the actors are in is what sells the fantasy here. And it's one of the most effective tricks and most common tricks with all of stop motion. Rear projection is all over the map when mm. it comes to Jason the Argonauts, Seven Voids of Sinbad, and really into even technically a follow-through even into using green screen in this way that you're keying out specific yeah, things. Yeah, the yeah, mental yeah. the technique is still there. I think for the film coming out of the Great Depression, I think this this created a portal into Skull Island specifically, a fantasy for 
I mean, probably something that was near therapeutic for audiences at the time, coming off of the Great Depression, to hmm. have such a fantasy in the movie. Yeah, theater. being able to take, you know, be taken away, be swept and, off your feet into another world. Kind exactly, of. Yeah. exactly. Uh, my argument for modern day is there is definitely still artistry. The emotion, the the little reactions that Kong is given, that is the animation team, proto as it was at the time. Mm. They are recognizing that. Kong may not look realistic enough, and they have to do things to make and bridge that fantasy of making Kong real for audiences at the time. I think while, albeit a touch goofy sure. in yeah, modern right. day, it's still artistry to recognize as they were using the tools at the time, and you can recognize the progress or the care put into making the creature human we're gonna go ahead and give king kong 1933 a 65 all right a 65 it's fantastic for a 33 movie <laughs> right yeah for well, sure you, one question i did have we're all mm. familiar with the scene kong in new york mm. you know on and, and batting down the planes and everything yep. like that and empire you, state building right yep. you think about modern day films like King Kong or Godzilla or mm-hmm. Marvel movies or something like sure. that where every single movie you are in a city and a city is getting totally trashed and destroyed <laughs> yep. to the point where there's no stakes. There's literally thousands of lives yep. pretty much dying in mm-hmm. these scenes that are just like uncredited, you know, faceless people essentially. Mm-hmm. And it loses an importance or anything like that. Was there anything now even with the fake monkey looking you know right, what i mean right. it's not like the animation cgi is like good or yep, anything yep. like that there is no cgi of course but um did it have a coolness or uh impactfulness it was just like when he got to the city or anything mm-hmm. like that or was it just like oh here's just another movie trash in a city and <laughs> it's just a little older uh, i will say it loses some of the appeal of the brutality again when kong's fighting other dinosaurs or other creatures it's Kind of good. Yeah, um, yeah. No joke. And, and kind of brutal. No joke. Uh, but when he gets to that city, I think that's where his interacting with the actors or the actors just acting uh, very scared in the background. And for this footage that's played behind or in front of Kong, that is what makes those sequences. Loses a bit. No, no. I, I think that's what makes those sequences good. Oh, because of the emotion. Uh, I see. I exactly. See. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of bridges the gap as far as Kong can only do so much in this set. Right. Uh, for that they're building up to it. So I love it. I love um, it. 65. And how uh, acting overall. Acting was good, and like yeah. I said, I think they're really, I mean, uh, the, the scope of this project was big enough. <laughs> I wasn't going to d- dive into uh, kind of a modern interpretation of this movie, but I sure, think sure. there really could be uh, uh, an interesting uh, modern lens to view this uh, this story through. Yeah, so. that's that's awesome. All right, so first one, 1933, King Kong with the 65%. We're going to go ahead here and, and, and jump off a couple decades. We're in 1958. Mm. This is the seventh voyage of Sinbad. Mm. And you say this is our second big kind of trend-setting movie or yes. next one in, in stop motion. And um, what do we have here? Why, why is it, uh, you know, sure. why does it take that second slot? Absolutely. So this second slot is really the first in-color film after a historic runs of, run of films with Ray Harryhausen. Uh, uh, okay, this film gotcha. is not directed by Ray. Uh, neither is Jason the Argonauts because at the time... Uh, he was exclusively an animation director and, and truly the godfather of taking the, 
lessons, maybe even self-taught lessons he learned from King Kong, from his early black and white films, and taking it into full effect to make monsters, you know, more than monsters. This movie is a true benchmark because it really is the culmination of a lot of the tricks he learned and, and, and really pioneered in his black and white films that were everything from... Monster films destroying destroying cities to flying UFOs and very, very campy 50s stuff. But Seventh Voyage of Sinbad is is a benchmark for so many reasons. Cool. Because it's cool. a it really is a culmination of just everything he does right in those black and white films. This I mean <laughs> man. Uh, do I wish movies are still named like this? Really, I mean, Seventh Boy. I mean, it's just so uh, there's 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 an epicness. There's an epic. About I was just about it. to yeah. say epicness. Yeah. How do we not name films like this anymore? But uh, <laughs> part of part of the uh, part of the appeal of the classicness of it is Bernard Herrmann uh, on the soundtrack. Oh, killing yes. it as usual. Awesome, uh, awesome. Yeah, love love his style. The whole feel just sounds so earnest and so classic in its fantasy. There is, I mean, comedy sometimes, but it just takes itself seriously in a good way, though. It knows it's telling a classic story, which I, I, I really enjoy. And, and and that's really sold by Bernard Herrmann's soundtrack. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad is a full-on fantasy adventure. Uh, it is separate from the written tales. Not that I read any Sinbad. Right. right. Uh, but, <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> right. So it is separate, though. Uh, and following the tussling of Sinbad with a magician named Sakura, uh, who curses his princess and forces Sinbad to a deadly island of monsters. Okay. Uh, Another island of monsters. Oh, yeah. The island island of monsters is going to be real common <laughs> in Ray Harryhausen's <laughs> in his films. I think my high praise here of the technical work uh, should fully os- offset the dated aspects of this film because there are definitely some dated aspects of this film. Don't get me wrong. Uh, this is <laughs> very much a 50s movie. Punches are probably miles away from anyone's face. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the props are hysterical. Uh, there is, obviously, this being kind of an Arab tale, there is a genie. And that genie lamp looks like a hospital bedpan. I have no idea what prop department really? thinking, was thinking they were doing. Oh, my God, that's There's funny. There's this very wide berth on the end of this genie lamp that just looks like a bedpan. <laughs> I don't... You know what I mean? I like OG Star Trek. There's a lot of creative prop work, but it's definitely, you know, those are some of the goofy aspects. Uh, I can't stress enough, though. I mean, the the praise of the technical powerhouse that this is and still, again, has artistry in how Ray is crafting the many, many monsters on this island is has a place for modern eyes. As far as what we're looking at for some of the technical aspects, Ray Harryhausen has uh, a branding trick that he does to his movies at the time. Okay. In his black and white movies, he is constantly being compared to men in monster type of uh, films, men, men in suits, monster suits and is being lost in the shuffle at the time. Dynamation is the branding that Ray and his team put to the movies. Hmm. And specifically, it refers to his very unique creature work, his very 
animated kind of humanistic creatures that he creates. Okay. But also specifically the reprojection techniques that he has learned from King Kong. That is Dynamation, where those two meet. Interesting. And if anything, we'll touch on many times in the special that stop motion is defined by two technologies meeting and creating something special. Uh, I'm actually very excited to talk about when very we get cool. into some more, so he more kinda, modern stuff. What would you say like. he mastered this or he's the one who took these two together? And, and, and melded them. He he's the one that at least brands it. Okay. Dynamation is something from his production studio. That that type of okay. uh, that word, and it's in front of all these films. It's in the opening credits. Uh, so so with Ray's films, with Harryhausen's films, mm-hmm. you know, okay, so he's writing them, and he's also just like he's got his hands all like again. He's not he's not the director. Mm-hmm. He's not apparently he's uncredited on the on the writer wow. as well. Wow. But basically, the big thing is he is completely behind the camera full, through and through behind the. Not Camera. Not directing, but like really directing of operations, kind exactly. of. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Animation director, uh, I, I animation department, uh, especially for these early ones. He's his his labor of love is just creating monsters. So cool. Uh, and you know, it makes sense why he wouldn't necessarily be directing because if you think about it, especially for these two, we are before the age that there is. Full stop motion. Yeah, there's a few right. full stop motion films, but nowhere near the prowess of Ray is doing with more of a big Hollywood appeal of actors, and now these actors are against these monsters. And interweaving them, yeah. Exactly. Yep. So that is where the focus is uh, for, for Ray, because he's doing so much and making such a mark on these movies, even though they're live action and only part of the action is 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 this stop motion. So... That, that's where he is okay. really our focus. And you look at anything as far as anyone that's even dipped their toes as far as incorporating stop motion into their films. Harryhausen is a name that is brought up as a godfather of this. Yeah, he really is, done. huh? Yeah. yeah. Very uh, cool. So cool. And maybe let me give you some perspective to that. I think we see a great example of uh, what he's done to, you know, again, take monsters beyond monsters uh, is in the Cyclops of this film. Not only mm. it is is it truly gigantic on screen being reprojected for the actors to interact with, to react with it, but the design of the monster specifically distinguishes itself from the possibility of being a man in the suit. Dynamation as well, again, is a marketing branding technique that Ray's house is doing. So when it comes to the creatures he's designing, now in a business decision, Mm -hmm. he's creating more interesting and intricate monsters through the stop motion to make sure that audience members have no question in their mind, there is no way there is a man in that suit. Okay, okay. Uh, and that yeah. is really the selling point of Dynamation. Very cool. Yes. Now, I'm sure the help, like you said, the scale of, of this specific creature was massive as well. Mm-hmm. So it must have been cool also. Like audiences back then, seeing a creature mm-hmm. looking like that, that huge. Absolutely. And all-consuming, basically. Yeah. The, the Cyclops is so great, too, and I'm, I'm glad to highlight it. You know, as far as... How they achieve this this not alien look, but this this you know fantasy, truly yeah. fantasy, fantastical look. It's achieved through having hooved goat legs by physical proportions impossible for a human. It goes so much farther than let's say if you were to watch an old Godzilla film. There's no doubt there's a man in the suit, and that's truly 
you know, correct to the production, but it's so interesting that creature design is being pushed further because of a business decision, yeah. ultimately, I mean, that's to awesome. distinguish themselves. Honestly, that's awesome. Absolutely. Among peers, among the film landscape, I, I, I love that aspect, and and Dynamation is just such a golden age Hollywood type of branding, you know? <laughs> yeah. Dynamation! You know? <laughs> so, uh, it, it really enjoyable for that. Impossible for human proportions, Ray also learns from his 1933 inspiration that physical reactions are key to making the monster feel real. This Cyclops will flinch in pain. Well, mm. I mean, almost to the point of total ripoff. We'll, we'll clench for ways at his body as, as they're attacking the creature in the same way that King Kong did in 33. Very cool. He is definitely learning from his his clear inspirations at the time uh, or what he grew up with to inspire him to work in stop motion, which is fantastic. This care is why the production methods are artistry, and it's seriously why I believe this style is timeless in the right hands. If there is care being put into so many aspects around yeah. design and habit and almost mentality of an otherwise lifeless figure, that is artistry. Does that make sense? Uh, no, you? absolutely. You no, and it's very cool. And like you said, I mean, they're branding it. This film was definitely gunning for it as well. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's so on the front cover, it says, too, the sheer magic of Dinorama. Oh, no, that's now, great. now recreates the most spectacular adventures ever filmed. Wow. So they're really pushing it. There's Honestly, yeah. this movie sounds like a blast. Uh, yeah, Sinbad's a really good time. Because uh, it's, just, it's just like creature and then another creature. And then yep. it's very cool. Absolutely. It's a little silly when it comes to some <laughs> aspects of it but uh it's interesting because beyond animation ray is also in truly a a proto special effects department a a iconic rear projection in this film is that the princess that is cursed shrinks down in size so instead of a stop motion rear projection we just have actor on actor and her being very small Mm. with our main lead so very cool he's he's all over the map and and that's why special effects really do consider him a godfather for this yeah i mean this of the early days it's 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 green screening before green screening was a thing mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely that, very cool absolutely i have to talk about my favorite scene though uh and it is a confrontation with sinbad and a full-on xylophone spooky skeleton it is uh, so great the class yeah uh, <laughs> i think a lot of people even if they just sh- were shown a clip of this would mm-hmm. be like oh that that rings a bell i yeah. think i've seen that before absolutely yeah. and especially for jason in just a moment we'll focus on that as well the skeleton scenes are very iconic right in that right and, and kind of burn themselves into your eyes We see this expanded in Jason, like I said, but this one is special specifically. The wireframe under every stop-motion figure is their skeleton, and the key to the creature's fantasy is the difference for a human skeleton. The, The key to the fantasy of the Cyclops is that it does not have a human framework. Mm, Right, right, okay. But once again, the artistry of Ray is like, well, we want to put in this skeleton set piece. How do we use this Which creatively being a human archetype, being a yeah, human yeah, yeah. form? What we do is have a design around this one-on-one scene where the stand-in for the skeleton at the time was a famous Italian stunt swordsman named Enzo Greco. 
it's so amazing. <laughs> so amazing. On top of this stop motion, having the skeleton be stiff and imposing and almost supernaturally moving, we have real impact in this fight scene because of real impact on sh uh, on shields uh, okay, around sure, yeah. the environment. Again, if the footage of the skeleton is going to be projected onto live footage of right. where, or, or actually rather reverse in this scene, to have interaction with the the setting. For instance, Sinbad throws his shield at one point, and you see it crash and crack off the skeleton shield, and then interact with potions and wizardly things on the wall. There's such a follow through in so creating cool. the fantasy around this skeleton being real for our characters and. I mean, if you're going to hire a famous Italian swordsman to have a stand-in that he's ultimately not he's in not the even film. In the yeah, film. he's not even in the film. <laughs> Very cool. And I think, again, my point in bringing this up, why I love this one specifically, is Ray is using his creative limitations. He can't make a monster monster out of a skeleton because it has to represent a human. Yeah, it in some and way. it has to be a skeleton, too, which is which, mm -hmm. it's pretty wild, actually. Exactly. Like thinking of what has to go into it. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, there's a lot of intricacy to yeah. that. Oh, yeah. So it is, it is such a, a level of care and follow through to what the idea he's trying to sell on picture is. It's fantastic. It's, it's, so it's, it's a visual dance. It really is. Absolutely. It, it, it's pure movie magic. And uh, like many things on this list, skeletons are a key love point for me uh, I, I'll introduce my campaign keep skeletons stop motion uh, yeah, you can you can find that on the hashtag Twitter go fund me yeah, yeah, yeah exactly like I said there is a lot in this film that is absolutely dated and may not hold up to the test of time but surprisingly, and what I urge for you folks at home, stop motion isn't even close to one of them. And I argue it is the key to the timelessness of this film. We're going to go ahead and give The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad a 70 on the dot. Ooh, okay, we're moving up here. We moving are, up, 70 is pretty good. Climbing. Once again, acting relatively good. We have Kerwin Matthews as Sinbad. Mm -hmm. We have Catherine Grant as the princess. Mm -hmm. Carrying the roles. Well, Carrying the roles. I think the magician, Sakur. Uh, I don't know the actor's name. Torrin Thatcher. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's where it gets into kind of a little bit 50s hammy and okay. whatnot. But again, uh, if anything, it... it it, there's such an earnestness around this is a classic story and we are going to try to do the best justice we can to this classic story. And, awesome. You know, there's follow through on that. I mean, yeah, know? and at 70%, fantastic mm -hmm. for a 58 uh, stop motion film. Absolutely. That's awesome. Really, really good. Uh, uh, we're going to keep on going. We're just f five years now. Not that big of a gap here. Mm -hmm. We're going from 58. We're in 1963 now. This is Jason and the Argonauts. Yes. So Jason and the Argonauts, I have a huge nostalgia for. Trust me, I am cold and calculated. This, is, uh, this will not come into play for the rating, but scenes of this were burned into my mind very early on and probably just you know, seeing it on TV once alone. Okay. Um, of course, this is the classic Greek myth of Jason and the Golden Fleece. Pelias is our antagonist, and when he receives a blessing from Zeus himself, his ambition pushes him to challenge fate itself. Uh, as far as Jason, Jason is that fate, and his quest is to find the relic of the Golden Fleece 
and places him in path of many a monster. One uh, once again, we have uh, the the stare not the stereotype, but the trope of island of monsters. Island of monsters. You know, <laughs> yeah, I love it. I kind of where like it. man has feared to tread. Uh, our heroes are put directly in front of the jaws and the and the claws of these monsters. So a little formulaic, and you may be wondering for folks at home that maybe know some of the history of Ray Harryhausen's uh, films. He of course does the original Clash of the Titans um, mm-hmm. which is certainly a landmark in its own right my argument here though is Jason is a culmination a a an amping up a magnification of what is done in uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad to create some higher stakes and really show the prowess and the care that Ray puts into these creatures we That's don't a get good distinction because yeah. I think maybe people would be more. It might ring a bell more. Mm. The other picture, oh for as sure, far as just the movie. It I is mean, a name, you know. Right, I mean, the everyone, name, right? Know. Name recognition, but that's a good distinction to say. No, this one is the one that belongs on this list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we don't get a lot of movies like this anymore, and I think why that that's really why this movie stands apart for me. In addition to the landmark effects from Ray, uh, it's a really good story, uh, and maybe you know it is a bit condensed versus the actual you know greek myth but seeing jason prepare for this quest really gives gravity to the build of the story and once again they they hold no punches this is a who's who of characters we would want to see in this setting we get zeus we get hercules hercules is in jason's crew Uh, (laughs) like it's awesome yeah it is it's so great (laughs) Uh, a handful of gods up at olympus uh and and really just you can tell that they had this technology, they had this inspiration with Ray's team, and they did not hold anything back. Like this is a you know a best of of Greek myth almost. Okay. So uh, some of that you may wonder again, especially for my praise of Greek myth. Why would Clash of the Titans not be on my list? I think if I had to make an argument story-wise, Jason uses this cast of Greek characters much more creatively than the original Clash of the Titans. Uh, Clash of the Titans also was not the one I dropped from this, but one that I researched extensively to call heads or tails, are we touching on Jason or are we touching on Clash for this slot of early 70s to early 80s for this decade in stop motion? Mythical creatures here are, as well, used just as creatively. Uh, There are just so many monsters that are a step up from Sinbad. The Cyclops, we go from Cyclops with a lot of creature design to the Bronze Colossus. Mm -hmm. One skeleton goes into seven skeletons. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, even the Hydra head is... There are, you know, they're all jiving on their own. It's an upgrade from the snake charmer scene and quite literally times seven work because when you think about the motion animation needed to coordinate all the heads, yeah, 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 it's yeah. huge. You know, I, I normally wouldn't give credit to an animation or just how long something took to make. I don't think I'm one to say uh, longer animation time or longer time just producing the movie is going to equate to quality. But there is something that you have to see in Ray's career that 
at this time, this five-year gap you said between these two films, five or six years? Yeah, from 58 to 63. You know, he has no peer at this time. No one is pushing him to go further. It's him. Exactly. It is him outdoing his own self. He is setting his own benchmarks. And that's why we're looking at Jason over Clash of the Titans. I love that. I love that distinction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, just to think about that. It's daunting and yet so exciting, probably, mm-hmm. to be in his shoes at that time, where it's mm-hmm. just like the world is your oyster. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's just a blank canvas. Yeah, and it's just like you're basically creating this new industry, essentially. Yeah, Again, not that he created King Kong was in '33. Yeah, technically. But yeah. boy, what like probably some of the most exciting times for Absolutely. him. Absolutely. Absolutely. If Sinbad represents our cumulative lessons he learned from his black and white films. Uh, especially with rear projection techniques and how to interact in the foreground. Jason is what I believe is the masterwork. Uh, It is very ambitious and, again, even draws to impact that we see in modern day. The rear projection techniques and the scale, let's say specifically for this bronze colossus, honestly, how he is putting things in the foreground, and sometimes actors are are what's being put in this rear projection. Sometimes, you know, like Sinbad, we had a small piece. We have large actors, because of course our cast is now around Greek gods. We see this ripple, honestly, Tom, it reminded me of the bigotures in Lord of the Rings. The same mentality. Oh, of very cool. Casting something down intentionally yep. to create more scale. Awesome. Uh, that, that really is where we see the ripple effect of yeah. how raised techniques could really echo through time and why they're worth looking at for the medium of it. So cool. So as far as what we're looking at for stop motion, though, we, of course, will follow through on lessons learned. You can look at the Hydra monster and say... Yeah, that's just a snake charmer scene from Sinbad, but it's just so much more complex. Seven times more complex, specifically. (laughs) Uh, And now it's incorporating, again, the lessons learned from King Kong that this creature, because it's not all moving at once, it needs to react just how uh, how an actor has to react. In an action scene, you need to have a volley. Uh, of action, you know, you need to see them, you know, if if Jason stabs the Hydra, this Hydra has to writhe in pain. Yes. It can't just fall to the ground. So the minor, <laughs> the, the minor reactions that Ray is doing with these animations, again, they're multiplied by seven. And getting more and more lifelike, too. Absolutely. You look at Kong, where it's just like, like you said, the eyebrows were going everywhere. Yeah, just kind yeah. of like, you know, For big, sure. big old fake monkey. <laughs> then you start to get some depth, especially with the Cyclops and everything like that, wincing a little bit, showing pain. And then this is just scaling it up again. The yeah. realism is really starting to be born, it yeah, sounds absolutely. like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, this is no better represented as far as the realism and what I think is the true masterpiece that will burn this movie into your memory is the skeleton scene. Like I said, there's a lot of praise for the one-on-one skeleton right. scene and the chore- the fight choreography of Sinbad, but Tom, let me tell you about these mother skeletons. <laughs> the amount of time put into these figures is insane and there is zero quality lost from the one-on-one interaction. Skeletons will fall over each other. They will vault over things. Okay. There's a moment that one of Jason's crew goes down and the skeleton happily jumps over it in kind of a, a point of glee. Again, these are skeletons. Yes, they look creepy, but do they have emotion? No. Ray is crafting emotion through action. 
action of these figures. Right, that's and fantastic. It's 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 so key to selling the fantasy. They'll often, you know, again, utilize these tricks that we see in earlier Ray films, specifically some of his UFO films. I think he only actually has one UFO film, but the ability to suspend a stop motion mm, okay. is a stop motion figure or armature is very key because how do you create a skeleton to jump when every single frame you every are altering Every single frame, yeah, yeah. There needs to be some sort of technique in place, and he pulls from this from his wide resume of what he's done in the past. This is, again, a masterwork of all of his techniques coming together. Coming together, play. coming together. And, and amped up yeah. <laughs> to, to such a degree. Awesome. This is the, uh, honestly, you, much like the one-on-one, the skeletons still have impact. They clash on, uh, on shields. They feel great. When they gang up, you see them stumble into to one of an, uh, one another and kind of eager to to fight our characters. Uh, I just think, again, hashtag keep skeleton stop motion. <laughs> uh, I, I actually, you know, I mean, I think is King Kong's probably the only one technically without skeletons, but I'm sure Skull Island kind of <laughs> counts as a, as a proxy, you know. But as it was with Sinbad, uh, these stop motion techniques could very much be seen as holding the film back in modern day. You could look at this and say, how is this ever going to compete with CGI? And realistically, the dated elements are what keeps Jason from a higher rating for me because the dated elements do seep into the the story the hollywood yeah. acting you know the very the very yeah, you, can't, you know classic feel of it yeah you can't really get away from that exactly yeah yeah but i would say by no means are these films irrelevant because of the march of technology alone this is truly a product of an artist and once again respect the man because he is he is driving the, the his production, his technique higher and higher and setting his own benchmark in an era that he was peerless. Yeah, which is know? incredible and crucial, crucial for this part of the industry. Absolutely. I and mean, for the decades to come. Absolutely. So uh, I think uh, I cannot praise this enough. And uh, while we depart from Ray to have a big jump in time, uh, Jason the Argonauts is absolutely worth your time in modern day. We will give Jason and the Argonauts a 77. 77. Okay. I love this. That's why we got rid of one of them. (laughs) A seventy-seven. You know, it's funny. It's and look, look. It's not that old films can't be good. I mean, some. You look at Citizen Kane. I mean, just so many, absolutely, so many films that are that are good. But when you think about old stop motion, Mm -hmm. any type of weird animation going on sure. on film you assume it's going to be bad Absolutely. us living to, I mean that's how I would take it anyway yeah, look at yeah. old film and just be like why don't I watch it I'm gonna be you know come on you know I'm an yeah, adult yeah. here watching this And but the funny <laughs> thing is these are the reasons to be watching it mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. great it's great to hear and it's great to hear it has a uniqueness that can still be engaging and keep you going pretty much in Absolutely. this film it's awesome Absolutely. and that, that's where I stress it if there's, a, if there's an objective in this special stop motion is a medium for storytelling just like a cartoon would be just like how CGI would Absolutely. be and has a rightful place and hopefully we'll, we'll get that across with these last two as well Absolutely. So. yeah and well like you said we are taking a really big you know this is now a 30-year gap. We're going three decades because Jason of the Argonauts is 1963. Mm-hmm. Here we have a classic that really a lot of people know, at yep. least the name of. We have The Nightmare Before Christmas. This is 1993, mm-hmm. and 
what happened in those three decades? I, are, are there honorable mentions? Or you know what I mean? For are, sure. Um, yeah. What is it? Are we just we, there was no forward momentum with yeah. this technology? It, it specifically this slot is focusing more on a modern stop motion perspective. In the years between these two films, we see a few progressions in stop motion. Of course, Ray continues his work until uh, 1981 with uh, Clash of the Titans, mm-hmm. which could be seen as a pinnacle, but. Honestly, again, I won't get into it. Maybe if we maybe we revisit Clash of the Titans, you know, on the podcast. Sure, yeah, you know. it could be fun. Full stop, stop motion films with no actors, or rather no live action actors, also hit a stride as well. On TV, we of course have the famous Rudolph and Frosty the Snowman films, oh my which gosh. are iconic stop motion as well. Oh my gosh, films- and you have like those classic. Like they're what forty minutes long yeah, typically, yeah, yeah. and like Jack Frost and mm-hmm. everything like that. Wow, mm-hmm. why not Heat put miser. those on? So where I, I focus on these is definitely they hit a mark of music being introduced into the stop motion, which yeah. again is a simple thing to consider. It is almost mind-boggling to think about when you think of the actual production of how much time is being put into these stop motions. Right to now have to coordinate music, huge. Mainly, oh, yeah. though, why this does not, why those type of films do not get this slot, is specifically the industry that has to happen for Nightmare Before Christmas to to come about, and maybe that's Disney money. Uh, that and is that's what Disney it comes down to. Bucks, and I will say, because think about those, Chris. Wow, those have a soft spot in my heart. Yeah, too. yeah. Especially like yeah, the Jack Frost. You have Frosty mm-hmm. and basically Rudolph. Mm-hmm. You have like three main ones, basically. Yeah, absolutely, and definitely full stop motion. So uh, an honorable mention, like you said. Yeah, honorable. But but as far as true trend setting, mm-hmm. nothing was really new there. I mean, maybe the implementation of music, but for the most part. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing a benchmark in the way that we need to see where this goes eventually. And Nightmare Before Christmas really, really is the benchmark. Is that. Really yeah. is that. Okay. Not only that, I think these also fill as what Nightmare Before Christmas also parodies stylistically. It's mm. a Christmas story, but it's also kind of directed towards those classic TV movies, you know? That's in true. In subject matter and why is stop motion the medium we're telling it through? It's parroting those kind of films, and brilliantly so, to Tim Burton's credit. I love so, that. Uh, and oddly enough, Tim Burton does not direct The Nightmare Before Christmas. So Henry Selleck directs, yes. which I had no idea until I, I know. sat down I Tim here. Burton gets this one as a feather in his cap. <laughs> and definitely does a lot of story. Uh, he, he's he deserves story something. and concept. Yeah. yeah. There's really a holy trinity of uh, of professionals here that I'll get into a second. Uh, but Henry is the focus. Henry Selleck is definitely, I mean, if Ray's going to be our godfather to make creatures human uh, I think uh, honestly Henry Selleck is responsible for making stop motion diverse and and complex enough to really sell stop motion almost as acting as mm-hmm. and, and really necessary for what a musical is which is complex singing in addition to all the coordination of the figures themselves yeah, in the absolutely. technology absolutely it, it's really only when big money Disney comes to play that we get this entry and, and why it's in my slot and overall I would describe this as the start of the modern phase of stop motion as equal parts artistry and now technician kind of come into play full stop motion films like this do not have this polish and uh, honestly i have to give credit 
to Henry Selleck as 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 a main lead, as the main highlight, but also many many talented artists that will probably never get a chance to name. So true. But it's so true. Much like how I would comment with any any animation in general, uh, there are is there's a tireless army being yeah. worked to the mm-hmm. bone to create this, and uh, that is definitely shown in the huge, huge production of Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, and our next film, too, which we'll get into, yeah. a little bit of that. But, yeah, yeah this this really was, you're right, this total, I mean, talk about benchmark. Yeah, Absolutely. I think we're looking at 100-plus animators over Unreal. three years. You know? Unreal. That's tireless. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, that's Disney money. That's Disney money. <laughs> get them to work, they'll do it. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, honestly, like I said, the holy trinity of creators here are Tim Burton for story and concepts. Danny Elfman in soundtrack, which, I mean, if you know this film, the soundtrack is iconic, but also, like, incredible. And when it comes to the director, animator spotlight, again, Henry Selleck. Nightmare Before Christmas is a story about how Jack Skellington, the pumpkin king of Halloween Town, has a identity crisis. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a novel uh, novel pitch to the film. Uh, upon the discovery of Christmas Town, just the mere discovery of Christmas Town sends him into an existential crisis. So. <laughs> this movie is a children's musical, and, and like I said earlier, parodies perfectly the Christmas movies that may be direct comparison because of the stop motion. Mm. There really is a flawless satire here in the concept. And that is why, story-wise, it edges it out, but also, again, the complexity of what's going on in the animation. And, you you know, those, those, the TV ones, one, they are definitely shorter. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. And you have several of them where really, maybe they just, they're together their own Mm -hmm. kind of product. Mm -hmm. But they're all similar. They all kind of do the same thing. Absolutely. You know what I mean? But the shortness is definitely. Yeah. I mean, even look at Nightmare Before Christmas with the money, with the years into it. It's still only an hour and 16. Uh, Yeah, yeah. If really only Kubo do we get into, like, feature feature length, right right you know? but yeah like you said it's the complexity of it it's the combining of it's it's of industry and artistry huge that it's, that's that's yeah. what's defining this slot this next benchmark if yeah, you will yeah. the gothic designs of tim burton are contrasted with the bright uniformity of christmas town uh, i really do think this makes for an instant classic not only was stop motion a perfect medium for this story for that reason but it really pushed boundaries in the tech It is all stop motion for one, which again is not maybe a unique feather in its cap, but scale and runtime that needs to be considered. You know, that we are talking about a a, almost a compound interest of the time that is needed for for even every second that we see on film. Not only do we see the character have the care put into the mannerisms, but in addition, Music is now through stop-motion animation. The big development here, benchmark-wise, is verbal and facial animation. Mm -hmm, We now don't need approximate or ballpark movements out of the figures over a set period of time. We need the accuracy for them pronouncing words. That is immense. That is a workload. You know, you can't just say this is painted on mouths like you see in those TV movies. They, right, they right. Got, they got by with painted on mouths and maybe swapping out heads entirely. But overall, there is so much more to what Jack has to do as a literal figure 
as a piece of uh, of puppetry and to have emotion on top of that you know again the story here is that he's going through a crisis <laughs> he has to show a variety of emotions in addition to the verbal yeah. coordination yeah. in addition to the music coordination it is such it's a massive. juggling it's, act. it's like an epic <laughs> it's an hour yeah. and 16 <laughs> but it's so it the feat of having to accomplish that exactly it's unreal and again i i mean i'm, I'm probably going to say it a handful more times but this is why we watch this in modern day because of that coordination because of the care of these artists these animators are artists yeah uh, and what they're putting into it I believe Selick says they had to coordinate the production of over 400 plus Jack Skellington heads to swap out for every syllable every emotion that he has to pronounce through the film insane gosh incredible and and that is again the combination of industry and artistry that only happens with big money absolutely i mean you yeah. think about the hours and hours and hours mm-hmm. that need to go into getting one minute mm-hmm. oh for sure a video mm-hmm. you know for sure while we don't have a lot of rear projection technique in this film we do see similar techniques pulled from disney's animation uh the technique is rotoscoping uh and we don't see much return to rotoscoping but Overall, this is when footage of someone live is then animated directly over. Technically speaking, it's what Harryhausen was doing with the skeleton and the Italian swords fire. Ah, okay. Technically, he's looking at that footage and right in front of it for the camera, or him in between the camera, he's moving the figures for it. We see this more so for interesting animation techniques and definitely gives it a classic Disney feel. Ghosts are cartoon, fire, shadows. There is a mending of or melding of styles uh, between the two, uh, which is which is great. I think the culmination of all this is in the song for Oogie Boogie. Uh, the sheer amount of movement on screen is insane. And to again, to think all of this is being used in, in, in every frame they have to do it. You have to understand, I mean, that is, that coordination is artistry. While Boogie's face to song animation may not be super complex, the creativity is surged into the setting of this track. Boogie's roulette wheel is always spinning. Uh, the group of three cowboy slot machines have individual checking slots coming at different and different results. It's just like, what? It's, it's, <laughs> it's unreal. It is unreal. Overall, I think the the standout as far as what the look of this uh, of this set is is a live black lighting that is done. This is a miniature set, ultimate. Oh, okay, all right. So lighting, I mean, quite literally, you can light a set however you right. want in the production. With this being miniature, how is lighting being incorporated in these films? For this segment, they do a live black lighting to the set, and it is, or the miniature. It's so cool. And it, it's just, it looks so good. It looks so much better than a digital edit of a black light oh my effect gosh. in modern day, mm-hmm. because it's it's real. It's what they're it's actually a- projecting on it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it, and, you know, again, that that's just... Hopefully, you know, what I communicate is bridging the the test of time there with that. Uh, As far as Selick's follow through, again, to to craft a feeling, to craft a commitment. Again, I can't stress enough. 
three slot machines with <laughs> their movement and then times that by you know by nine you know because of the different right, slots right. kind of resulting yeah, just just so so amazing to see and and I think this is where Selleck really earns our spot his follow through and commitment are unmatched this is a labor of love this is not for the result yeah. this is well it's got to uh, be a little bit of that Pay, I mean, there's reward at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, true, very true. But, but I, I see what you're saying. Where it, yeah, this, this is, it, is a love for craft. Year two of this project, oh. you're not thinking about award season or anything. Right, right. You know? It's still got a lot to go. Yeah, you're thinking, so. oh my god, I'm gonna miss another kid's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I like I said, I spoke a lot of aspects around the story and soundtrack, and that's speaking. Not so. I w- w- let me let me track that back. I'm not speaking so much about the story and soundtrack because they are good and they are great. Uh, but the scope of this special is focusing on specifically the animation. I just understand the importance that I put into my specific words of Holy Trinity. That really yeah. is with full praise <laughs> yeah, of yeah. Burton's contribution and Danny Elfman as well, who probably will get a spinoff special of his own because I've really been enjoying okay, I love that. His, uh, his tracks. But believe me, the mark of a great kids film, if this is what it's going to boil down to, is equal enjoyment for the adults for different reasons. Allow my praise of the visual aspects in this film to illustrate illustrate how much there really is to love for all viewers. We're going to go ahead and give Nightmare Before Christmas an 83. Oh, wow. That's really good. It's still climbing up. Climbing. What a nice... This is... I'm really liking the way these are coming out. Surprised you? When watching it, like realize when these how these were ending up. Or? Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll I'll come clean with it. Uh, technically, I was because I wanted to give more time with Selick uh, okay. as a director and as an animation guy, and he does James and the Giant Peach three years after this. He uh, goes right back into production, another so, three year stint. So uh, earlier, uh, I first said six was on the list, yep. and we knocked it down. And again, mm-hmm. kind of we're just putting it in honor honorable mention, yeah. which was James and the Giant Peach. Why? Why get the cut? Uh, so James and the Giant Peach uh, does a fifty fifty live action and and stop animation split. It's certainly a nice movie, but I think I just felt it was a step back for this highlight. It, certainly, there's a lot of unique lighting techniques done in in uh, the miniatures of yeah. James and the Giant Peach. But it's a step back because I can't exactly say these, these you know, three years of 100-plus animators to make a movie that's fully in stop motion and all this coordination to then take technically step down and incorporate live action once again. Yeah, it's just it, it, it wasn't building upon anything. Exactly. And these are benchmarks. These, mm-hmm. are, these are crucial films for this, for this genre that we're touching yep. on. Absolutely. And it's not a great movie in its own sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A great stop motion movie, sure. But that's not, we're not looking for great yeah. stop motion movies. We're looking for the crucial ones, the benchmarks. Exactly. And it just so happens that some of these are really good. Yeah. If anything, I thought it might have been a good spot to check out uh, the lessons learned from Nightmare Before Christmas, just oh, in yeah, the same yeah. way with Jason the Argonauts yep. from uh, uh, you know from Sinbad to Jason. I wanted to see maybe if there was development. Unfortunately, that was not the case. But not a bad movie and an honorable mention for sure. Cool, awesome. All right, so that's Nightmare Before Christmas with an eighty-three percent. Okay, so we have one more film here. Before we do that, we're just sure. going to go ahead and get a pitch. Sure. We don't really do the producer segment here for these specials, but we just do want to remind people. You know, Vin and I are operating off operating off of the value for value model, mm-hmm. and what that is is. 
if you're getting value from the podcast, from the special, and you find yourself going to the site and using it, you know, you're not you're not Googling Rotten Tomato scores or anything like that. You're checking out our site once in a while. You know, what value are you getting from it? And if you could, you go to the donation you go to the dailyratings.com and go to the donations tab. And through monetary support in any amount that you want, uh, could you, you know, donate to us? And when you donate, you can write in a note and that, you know, it opens up a communication port with you guys. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you donate again, we read your note on air and and uh, it's fun, and we're kind of you know trying to create something here. It's a through line to you all. It keeps us away from advertisers on the podcast, mm-hmm. advertising on the site, which is actually pretty huge. And, and that's kind of how we're operating here. What, how we look at you is producers. Mm-hmm. Where Vin and I sit here and we host the show. You all who donate to the show, you're all producers. Mm-hmm. And also, hey, if you don't have the producer, or you don't have the extra money, you know, tell a friend. Absolutely. Le- le- leave something. Yeah, you know, leave a five star rating and mm-hmm. everything like that. We've all heard Feedback, it before. Really, it, it, that's that's the whole community. It's aspect huge. Here. It's huge for us, and that's help producing as well. You know, propagating the message, getting it out, getting mm-hmm. our name out there, especially as we're getting this going. We appreciate it so much, any little bit all of you do. And again, for all you producers out there who make this happen, we thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And again, it's at dailyratings.com and head to the donations tab. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and do our final film here. That was 1993, Nightmare Before Christmas. Again, we'd have a relatively modest jump Mm, here. And we are in 2016 Mm -hmm. for Kubo and the Two Strings. A lot of controversy around this film, a lot of praise, a Mm. lot of wowing, and just like, you know, it definitely uh, received great reviews and everything Mm -hmm. like that. 2016, Kubo and the Two Strings. What do we have here, and why does it deserve our final spot here? Sure, sure. So uh, much like the time jump between our third and fourth slot, there is plenty of notable stop motion throughout the mid-90s to 2000s. Over on the UK side, we, of course, have Wallace and Gromit reaching its popularity during this time. Uh, That trades out the typical wire frame for its characters with claymation uh, as the primary stop motion. It's actually a technique called plasticine, and I can be technical because I put this much time into it. it. (laughs) Allow me to be a know-it-all because I know it is plasticine. (laughs) (laughs) No, but no, I do remember that being, yeah. Yeah. Even Selleck's follow-up film, like we said, James and the Giant Peach, it's an example of innovation in and, and music in a film, but our final slot has to wait for some echoes of Selleck's career uh, to to kind of subside for maybe someone else to to step up and make their mark. In 2009, Selleck embarks with a new studio, Leica, uh, and with new techniques in stop motion, much like the Dynamation was a branding for Ray back in the day for stereoscopic stop motion. This encapsulates a lot of new digital design editing, frame rate smoothing, and probably most importantly, the combination of green screen for keying out backgrounds. Really, again, fully looping in our lessons for the techniques of rear projection. The same technique has now come full circle with green screen and using that creatively either in foreground or background. That. Very cool. Yeah. Um, we see this first used in Coraline, uh, which was Selleck's uh, next work and first work with Leica, a wonderful movie. Uh, and Selleck's actually first and only film with Leica. However, it's not until our final spot, only until he leaves the studio, do we see the second half of what now truly modern stop motion animation is, and that is 3D printing. Once again, we have a combination mm. of this branded stereoscopic stop motion and a production element, an industry element, and 3D animation is 
is where we <laughs> where we stand in with that and why we're spotlighting Kubo. With the stage set, Kubo and the Two Strings is a capital A adventure, uh, right in line with the Odysseys of Sinbad and Jason. I think that's why I really did enjoy yeah, watching these films sequentially because it really it's a return. There's no musical elements to this children's film. It is a it is of an adventure for that, uh, and I think that's why it kind of captured a lot of inspiration of of the predecessors before. Kubo is a young boy that is haunted by his grandfather uh, and and family overall that is hunting him to fulfill his destiny. His mother is is shield. His mother shields him a lot from what this reality is. However, a sickness that afflicts her here is her losing her memory, leaving Kubo to rise to the challenge. Uh, an interesting movie and maybe at the time received some flack because it is a little bit heavy for a children's film. Is that what you were referring to with some of the criticism? Or uh, No, mine, not, mine came from treatment of staff and animators. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, okay. my gosh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, press for time, not mm-hmm. getting proper pay. Crunch. Yeah, it would yeah. be the industry term. Yeah, and um, not getting proper pay and mm-hmm. like overtime pay and everything like that, and really not being treated well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a big problem with this studio. Mm, I see. And, yeah. I see. And maybe that's some of uh, Selick's leaving the helm. Uh, there is a lot there that Honestly, you lose a, a mainstay of a new studio. You know, he started mi- it. Right, mismanagement know? of maybe time and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But really, what it comes down to, if you look at a film like this, mm-hmm. and when you're pressed for time because you're meeting deadlines. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. Absolutely, uh, the pay stuff—it's what's weird. Yeah, you know when you have unbelievable mm-hmm. hours being worked yeah, and not being sure. shown for it, but right. just like still being forced to. Yeah, um, that's when it gets a little, a little, little weird. Yeah, you know, absolutely, and a little much. But that's and something that's, to note. I, I'm glad you're bringing it up. Yeah, too. that's it's definitely something with this movie, especially when mm-hmm. it first came out. A lot of people, not so much like I'm going to boycott this film mm-hmm. because of the poor mm-hmm. treatment, but it was definitely it was a sour note on the film at the time mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and think about what I've even noted previously. You know, these animators deserve just as much credit as these highlighted. Oh, you know, they're just as much of an artist. Absolutely. So. I think uh, tying back to the story with Kubo a little bit, Kubo really confidently juggles deep emotion. And it's the core of my recommendation for both stop motion, but also a pretty ageless film to watch. To have a tasteful depiction of Alzheimer's and dementia in a children's film is no easy task. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, f- uh, you know, fully adult films uh, flub that handling of Alzheimer's. Oh, as... you, you are walking a <laughs> yeah. a thin rope there. Yeah. Exactly. So the fact that Kubo might be my favorite treatment of this talket, uh, topic because of how it is wrapped up in an adventure and fantastical elements, I, I, I hope that really does speak volume because there is a lot here to, to love. Yeah. The sh- story does not shy away from some heavy scenes and mm, maybe like even a musical when emotions get too high action is there to meet it Mm -hmm. to smooth it all out Uh, i really love the voice acting talent here we haven't talked too much about voice acting but this one does have a a special place in my heart thematically our characters are all storytellers 
to the subject matter of memory and living on through memories, uh, through stories, and and honestly, that ties into the tragic elements of this story. It's so wonderfully executed upon. Selling this is some serious top-tier voice actor talent. Um, yeah, we big have time. Char- we have Charlize Theron. We have uh, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, we have George, George Takai. Yeah, Rooney, uh, uh, Rooney Mara. Uh, yeah, Ralph Fiennes. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. big names, big names. And uh, this is a big movie. It certainly oh, wasn't. Oh, for yeah, sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah, Leica is is still relatively. I don't know if you could call it indie studio, but again, they lost Selick. They lost their captain, basically. Yeah, and how yeah. does a studio recover from so that? So who who put this out? Was it that studio? And did Disney pick it up or something like that? And no. What was distribution? It it, it stayed this mm-hmm. this Leica. Yes. Uh, studio. I yes. kind of like that. And that is the key as well again to why we have to look to industry for why this next benchmark is here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because without Disney money, how does an even more complex emotional film sell all this stop motion? And we'll touch and on that. And it's a lot more. of stop motion and yeah. beautiful looking stop oh, motion. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Let's crack into it. I think that's a perfect transition, honestly. Yeah. So when it comes to the creative motif, this film has origami written right into its DNA, and I think it's a flawless match. Um, Creates a lot of visually sharp creatures and characters that probably will look better for stop-motion animation itself. Once again, we have the principles of the skeleton coming through for (laughs) stop-motion. And it's really just a great match for the medium, just the concept of origami with stop-motion. I think it's a a great pairing. If the complexity of singing was the challenge for stop-motion in our last entry... Kubo's animation tackles real emotion as its goal, uh, where Jack needed several hundred heads for singing, an even more complex scale is needed here to convey emotion and create subtle reactions to the characters, though they may not be speaking. Acting is reacting, so we need to maybe even pull back to 1933 with King Kong. Mm. When those eyebrows were, were going on their own, <laughs> no one was talking to Kong, you know? Right. <laughs> Maybe not that far, but <laughs> I, I joke. But when it comes to what we're looking at there, so much more complexity is needed, and especially that complexity is needed specifically when we're not coordinating speech. We also see the animation technique of a smear frame where faces are swapped in and out intentionally for a distorted model to create a little bit more fluidity. We see this in cartoon drawings. A smear frame is where you would have just a blurred image of the cartoon character to fill in the gap. Mm. So when we're watching this at a such a frame rate, right. it's flashing in front of us, yeah, yeah. we connect the dots in our mind. Same principle is used here. The point I'm trying to highlight is that this was even only remotely possible with 3D printing and certainly without Disney money backing them. This yeah. does not happen on a small-scale studio or even medium-scale right. studio because right. they have had feature films up until this point. It does not happen at the time that we see Selick come to Leica or, or established Leica with Coraline. Coraline was still using hand-painted heads, and apparently okay. they, they, you know, some of the early early fights were around how many freckles Coraline had on her face because they knew they had to replicate it that many wow. times. Wow. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that's there's a multiplier. How small of a granular mm-hmm. uh, the thing you have to look at it. They you know, just have to have microscope to these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Unreal. Unreal. 
unreal. But why 3D printing is the the combination uh, with stereoscopic uh, stereoscopic stop motion is because again, if anything, as a necessity, as something to overcome adversity of losing your main creator in your studio, they needed to simplify the industry aspect. Yeah. And 3D printing is there to provide a consistent and predictable and augmentable type of format for their many, many characters that are all emoting on their own. Yeah. Something like a smear frame would not be possible with this because how do you account for the many different, many different stages that you need to create that smear frame in with digital technology and 3d printing they're able to account with that through the through the editing yeah technology yeah definitely they, they have so uh it's really it really is an achievement and honestly like i said why tech advancement alone should not necessarily define stop motion that's why we don't necessarily see the focus for the special hit on what we're looking at for Coraline, even though it's another entry for Henry Selleck, uh, it's specifically the combination of actual material production that is needed for this innovation and needed for this benchmark and why we're focusing on Kubo. For one last time, let's talk about the stop motion, the standout. We have a giant treasure skeleton. Uh, this is probably most notable because actually in the end credits, they give you a quick sped up breakdown of the real stop motion. I think this film needs it because this scene probably makes you question the most, is this really stop motion? Is this stop We're motion? getting that good. That's so cool. We are getting that good. Because the I, question is, it's stop motion or wait, is this animation? Yeah. You want to say it's animation. Exactly. Yeah. Or some combination of the two and the fact that they show the behind the scene production for oh yeah if you will kind of like a post credit kind of tease yeah that is is so needed and i'm glad they do because it really shows the prowess in this film and the prowess of the of the artist behind this scene we have some amazing amazing lighting effect that returns from what we looked at and what we praised for oogie boogie and uh in nightmare before right, christmas a lot of black light work a lot of miniature lighting which again i can't stress enough has a place now modern day because guess what? It looks better than digital lighting. It's real it's lighting real that lighting. you would see it's in real any production. Lighting. I wish you know? more people just did that. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I know. I know. Scream the choir for, or preach the choir for you. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, uh, there's also a, a fight with a huge sky serpent that honestly, we talk about inspiration of anime or, or animation roots, uh, felt very Studio Ghibli in its movement, uh, reminded me of a lot of uh, accordion-like design uh, that is done to mm, this, and again, yeah. we add this with the stylings of origami, it's just, mm, it's so good, so good, uh, and I think the, the standout for this Sky Serpent is just the frame rate and how smooth this thing operates as a figure, as a, as a puppet, uh, puppet in the production. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the smoothness of it is great. It's, it's, there's a fluidity of the film that you mm. just would not think that you get with this type of technology, this genre of stop yeah, motion. Exactly. It's beautiful to see. Yeah. It really is. It's beautiful to see. And I'm glad that, I mean, it's certainly there, you know, Leica is still making films. I'm sure there are plenty of advancements to come uh, in, in, in decades in the future. But when it comes to why I liked even capping off the this this special in this way is because in this serpent, we really see, uh, multiple times in the film, legitimately, but we really see 
wow, this can almost go uh, toe to toe with a CGI. Yeah, and 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 again, it's wild. My, it really is. Yeah, my follow through is again. What is the argument? What is the case for this? These type of films, this type of medium existing alongside what is abundant in in the industry, which yeah. is just CGI. So. Travis Knight, I would say again the the follow through here. There was such flourish, such finesse put through for this. We talked about you know the micro reactions Ray gave to his creatures because this is a drama and having amazing fight scenes for action. This is sprinkled all over the film, and honestly, it would be too too much to even get into specific references. But Travis Knight, as both an animator and a director has our final spotlight among the highlighted greats of the special. Uh, I really think he's earned this. Awesome. And excited to see what comes from Leica. I think when we talk about a movie, <laughs> a big boy alert, if you will. Ooh, okay. <laughs> All right. There is going Pay to be... <laughs> yeah. There is going to be a new factor of... of some personal taste. Uh, I, you know, it is the whole concept of rating sci-fi higher. I am just a man. <laughs> I have desire. <laughs> and believe me, you folks at home, you have my dedication to be as cold and Spock-like as possible in my critique. But when it comes to a film that has follow-through like this, personal preference is going to come into play. And maybe that's what defines... You know, the must-watches, something that I can mix with my criticism and passion as well. As far as this film, personally, it's a story about loss. It's a story that tackles Alzheimer's and dementia tastefully and for yeah. no less in an adventure movie that has excitement and, and really stunning sequences. You wrap that all up in this, and this is not only a benchmark for a special, but a very special movie for me as well. The film medium that stop motion is presented through, that is... That this is this is where we need to look to a film like this that can stand toe to toe with CGI, and show that there is stylistically a follow through on why stop motion is specifically being chose to tell this specific story. You wrap that all up in this benchmark experience, and I'm telling you, this will hold your eye for the entire runtime. We're going to go ahead and give Kubo and the Two Strings an 88. Wow, an 88. Mm -hmm. That's well a fantastic score. Well deserved. And and I agree completely. I don't mm -hmm. think you're out of bounds doing that. Maybe shocking for a kid's story, ultimately, or, or a children's movie, <sighs> but I'm telling you, there is so I much mean, how like, I noted a nightmare. To, I mean, look at the first like 15 minutes up. <laughs> true. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, Where they true. literally reach into your heart and pull it out like in Indiana Jones. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, that's just how that is. Sometimes that what makes the, the best in kids' movies. That, yeah. This 88 is so appropriate. I don't think mm -hmm. you're out of line. It almost feels like you think you're out of line almost doing this, and no, it's making it... It's More so, I think, I think to outdo Nightmare Before Christmas is a heavy task. Uh, no, but... but mm. I'm telling you, emotion, it needs more than just the music. Yeah, and, no, and yeah, yeah. there's not a single song in this, this shows probably just as much emotion as we see in those musical set pieces. Well, this is unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, we, we, we unbelievable. Well, this is great. You took us yeah. through about what about eighty three years yeah, of yeah. stop motion from the very beginning mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. some of the biggest ones that we've had recently, and the way it goes up with the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly, it's it's quite shocking. It's quite shocking. Absolutely, we're not in the fifties or below sixty five mm-hmm. in any of these. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Absolutely, it's really really good. Folks, I just want to say, you know, we are running long, but there's how these specials yeah, are. That's They're how special. it goes. <laughs> I was gushing over these stop motion <laughs> films for long enough. Just want to make another point to say, folks, Vin has, he won't he won't go ahead and bother you too much about it. Uh, <laughs> he has spent hours of additional research. He's not just sitting down and watching films. He didn't just Google a list or look up a list of what are the essential stop motion. Okay, mm-hmm. this looks pretty good. This list looks all right. Right, right. This is a handcrafted list through hours of research and understanding of the film already. I mean, you had a good idea of these mm-hmm. movies and everything like that. But going through on a deeper t- a deeper look into these mm-hmm. things, a huge appreciation for you, Vin. And that's what we say, folks. You know, We understand that this is... One, it's just a podcast, a website. It's only once a week, and it's about movies and film. How important is it to you when when it comes to your life? Maybe not that much, but at the same time, are you listening? Are you going to this site, and is it valuable for you? I mean, I would argue that this is just, if, if anyone is, even has a hint of a love for movies or anything mm-hmm. like that, if you just literally just like to go to the movies once in a while, mm-hmm. as I think most people do, this kind of stuff is really, really fun to do. It is a lot of work. It's a lot of work for Vin. Me, I'd come on, turn on the mics. What are you going to do? <laughs> but um, seriously, so if you, you know, again, it's the dailyratings.com. And if you go to the donations tab, again, you give $3, you give $33, you give you show $330.30. <laughs> it's whatever you want. You know, we have fun little set donations as well that could be weekly or monthly. Those are kind of, you know, fun donations like with The Godfather mm-hmm. at $95 because mm-hmm. it's at 95%. Jack and Jill. Because, you know, it's $4 a month if you want because uh, it's, it's got a 4% on the yeah, daily that's, that's a rough, yeah, that's a rough movie. <laughs> but, um, but again, all your producers that help make this happen, it's huge. It's what's keeping this going. You know, we host, you all help re- produce this once again. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a big deal. It's a real producer credit for you. Just like in Hollywood, producers, mm-hmm. that's exactly what you are for us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when we put projects like this together, we really want it to be as good as possible for you. We don't want to just waste your time. We don't want to waste our time doing mm-hmm. this. I could have just covered yeah. five Ray Harryhausen movies and called it a day. Uh, if anything, I put things on the benchmark because, or on the bench because they weren't the benchmark. You right. Know? And uh, this is, that's why we exist here. Because we think no one else is really giving a damn. Sure. Like a Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't care. Absolutely. There's no care put into that place at yeah. all. This is a different story. We're trying to do things a little bit differently. So anyway, that's just, just another final pitch here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vin, we thank you so much for doing this. What is really homework. <laughs> enjoyable, though. Enjoyable, yeah. The most enjoyable But uh, really thank you for putting this special together, Vin. Is there anything else you want to add or are we going to roll credits here? I, I think that's good. Uh, honestly, uh, hopefully I've communicated where this can have a, a modern day viewing and, and, and just overall the objective here. Stop motion is a medium, not a style and certainly not to be lost with the march of technology into our CGI overlords. So, <laughs> But uh, give some of these movies a watch. Let me know what you think. Feedback is what we want and engagement with you. We want to know what you're watching and what you're liking then. 
Awesome, Vin. Well, again, Vin, we thank you so much. And uh, Vin, we'll see you next week. We appreciate it. And for folks at home, we're going to run through these just one more time here. So we have, starting in 1933 with King Kong, we have a 65%. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad with a 70. Jason and the Argonauts with a 77. The Nightmare Before Christmas with an 83. And up and up they go with Kubo and the Two Strings with an 88%. We thank you so much for those of you who helped produce, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating, or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you've found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you receive from us. You'll get a producer mention on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.